Hello and welcome to the 17th episode of the Batflip Crazy podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis. I'm your host, Toby. In today's podcast, I'm really excited to be doing uh, the first interview uh, on the podcast. Uh, the goal with these interviews is to talk to some of the best fantasy baseball players and analysts out there and to learn more about their process, the tools they're using, resources, and metrics uh, that they've used to be successful. I'm thrilled to have the first interview with Brian Slack of Baseball HQ and one of the better fantasy baseball players out there. Brian is currently in the top 30 of the great fantasy baseball invitationable, uh, an invitation and three, has three teams in the top 60 out of more than 500 teams in the main event on NFBC, uh, and that main event is the equivalent of kind of the World Series of, of Poker uh, for fantasy baseball. Uh, you can read his insights on the National League West for Baseball HQ, where he also contributes to the Baseball Forecaster, which is definitely a must-have during draft season. Um, I'm hoping this is the first of many interviews and really want to thank Brian for joining us. If you want to listen to past episodes, you can find the podcast on iTunes and other podcast platforms. If you like what you're hearing, uh, please go give us a five-star rating and write a nice review. Tell your friends. I'm especially interested to hear how folks like uh, the interview format, um, since we're trying to do things a little bit different, getting into some of the strategy and kind of in-depth uh, metrics and, and resources that folks are using uh, in their when they're playing fantasy baseball. Uh, just want to thank everybody who has already left a, a rating and, and a review. Really appreciate that. You can follow me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy, on Instagram at BatFlipCrazy, on Facebook at BatFlipCrazyFantasy, and the blog is BatFlipCrazy.com. I also have a YouTube channel which currently has one lonely video uh, which is about you uh, finding hard hit fly ball rates and hard hit pulled fly ball rates. If you haven't checked it out, uh, please do so. All right, that's enough from me. Let's get this party started. We are joined today by Brian Slack. Welcome to the podcast, Brian. Thank you very much, Toby. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. You are the inaugural uh, interview that we're doing here on the Bat Flip Crazy podcast. So really appreciate you um, coming on. Before we hop into things, I just wanted to let folks know that, um, you know, with these interviews, what we're really hoping to do is to uh, create a space where people can learn from some of the best fantasy baseball players. And Brian is very humble, but he's definitely uh, among those. Um, we want to hear about folks' process, the tools, the resources that they're using, um, and just some of the overall strategy and really make this kind of a place where we can uh, learn from one another. So, uh, so thanks for joining us on this experiment. Thank you again. Very, uh, yeah. very, honored, very honored to be the inaugural uh, interviewee. Definitely. And before we hop in, why don't you let folks know where uh, they can find your work? Sure. Uh, I write the NL West, the Playing Time Tomorrow uh, NL West column for Baseball HQ, and that comes out every Friday. Otherwise, uh, I can be found on Twitter at that GLG20, uh, that underscore GLG20. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Nice. Um, all right. And Brian is a great 
uh, Twitter follow, even when he is tweeting out uh, negative things about Eddie Rosario, one uh, of the loves of it. loves of the show. Uh, no, that was that was actually uh, really really interesting stuff. So uh, check that out. Uh, the trade deadline was today. There was some interesting things going on. We're just going to touch on it briefly. Any any major takeaways for you from the trade deadline? I thought it was wild. Uh, I thought it was it was pretty action packed. You know, I don't have any AL only or NL only leagues. So it, I wasn't too kind of, you know, glued to, you know, kind of any outcome, but uh, I was happy to see uh, Sergio Romo and Will Smith both stay put. And um, then also I had a few shares of Roberto Osuna. So I'm not sure what I think about that, but uh, I think it's probably a little bit better than perhaps with, with Toronto. So um, at least has some, some serious upside. So, probably see how that shakes out but otherwise i mean for my own my own teams i think it, it was uh it was it was fine I, you know kind of you know any bullets were dodged but uh you know from a real life perspective i love what the the rays did i thought um the yeah. guys that got back and the way they were able to kind of retool pretty quickly um was, was impressive and then you know kind of just shrug a little bit at what the at the rockies and the cardinals did uh you know following the rockies i kind of just wonder you know, I don't know. I mean, I guess I got someone O, but I just didn't know if they were going to maybe try to, you know, have maybe try to move some younger pieces to, to maybe help the team this year. But, but yeah, otherwise I thought it was a, a lot of fun. What did you think? Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. I mean, it was probably the line that I can, I can remember. So that was, that was kind of fun just from a, from a spectator standpoint. I agree. I love what the Rays did from a real life baseball perspective. I'm interested to see what um, how Tommy Pham does uh, going over the Rays. He's he's been one of my favorite players, and I think a lot of the skills line up with where he was at last year. I think he probably got a little lucky last year, uh, getting a little luck, unlucky this year. So I'm interested to see how the rest of the season plays out. And I think outside that, I think um, yeah, the Cardinals. Just I'm not sure what they were trying to do getting rid of. Um, fam and then holding on to bud norris and uh some of the guys that it looked like uh, should probably probably go but um oh well what can you do yeah no it was it feels like it feels like last year uh maybe there were just one or two moves i know there were more but just the ones that stand out it just feels like this was a lot more action-packed so yeah definitely all right so uh, moving away from just our uh, our opinions, uh, how are your teams doing? We mentioned in the in the intro, they're doing pretty good. But talk to us a little bit about your teams. Yeah, the teams are in. They feel like they're in a free fall. Uh, I got to be completely honest with you. I am. Uh, yeah, I had to to step back from the ledge for a little bit. But um, you know, the pitching has been. It feels like you know, even the guys that I would uh, be counting on um, as aces or or you know at least pitchers drafted early up top uh, have been a little bit disappointing lately, but um, all in all, I have four, four main event teams that I share with my partner in crime, Nick Sackett, and then one uh, team in the TGFBI. And they're all um, right around in the hunt for, uh, you know, the league title. So, um, you know, it's, it's not as bad as it seems, but it just sometimes feels really, really dire, but, uh, but yeah, you know, nine weeks left, um, a lot of times to kind of, you know, kind of focus and, and try to maneuver our way into uh, hopefully a few league titles. 
Yeah. Our, yeah, yeah. And now our overall, you know, because the, the NFBC main event is, you know, kind of 510 teams comprised of, of a lot of different leagues, and they all kind of feed into one overall pool. And we had visions. Uh, we have always had visions yes. of, of winning that. The yeah. overall but the, the, some of the teams at the top right now just look really good and in our in our visions are becoming a little bit less uh realistic i think at this point so we're, we're really focused on league titles and um yeah have a lot of fun definitely and you um what's uh what's your best team in the in the main event that you got going right now so our best team is uh it's it's called foster's path of totality uh, my kid's name is Foster, and oh, we man. just uh, gave it gave it that name. But uh, that one we we started with uh, Mookie Betts. We were in the ten spot there, and we started with Mookie Betts and Machado. Nice. And then got um, yeah Darvish in the third, Quintana in the fifth, and then Rich Hill in the eighth, and John Gray in the tenth. So you can imagine our pitching has been uh-huh. what's what's really been killing us. So. Yeah. We picked up Stripling and we drafted Snell, and so those have been, you know, kind of nice. solid picks there. Um, you know, Eddie Rosario and, and Machaniger, and of course Boxberger. You know, I had to draft Boxberger, but um, of course, it's it's of course, man. But you, no, it, you can't it, go wrong with Boxy, right? Uh, Only sometimes. Too. <laughs> yeah, he's he's uh, he's an adventure to watch, but, sure. but yeah, that's that's worked out. So yeah, just need to get some pitching and hopefully. Um, like I said, try to help it take down that league title. Definitely. Yeah. And most importantly, I think we're duking it out right now. I think the last time I checked, uh, I was in 19th and you were in 20th in the TGFBI. So that's, uh, you know, that's going to be a battle royale to see which one of us uh, ends up in the, ahead of the other in, in that. Have you made any tra- I know you made the one trade. You traded for, you traded for Trevor Bauer. You traded Eddie Rosario yeah. for Trevor I Bauer. Did. I'm yeah. Afraid. It was, that was, a, that was a hard move for me because I love, I love Eddie, and I hadn't seen your analysis yet about the uh, the injury, which I think is is super interesting. I needed pitching. I'm I'm kind of where you were. I've just been uh, even the guys that I could could trust in that league uh, have not been doing well. Uh, Luis Severino, where I who I own in a lot of places, and then I just had some blowups. Like I picked up Julius uh, Chassin uh, for his for the one game he had against the Cardinals, where he threw like two innings and gave up eight runs, I think. And that same day I had Domingo Herman, who has pretty much single-handedly uh, tanked uh, that team's uh, ratios. So I'm in a real battle uh, to keep my ratios in a decent place, but overall I'm, I'm in fourth league. Your colleague at baseball HQ, uh, Brent Chester has been in the lead for a lot of it. Um, uh, I think he's in second by a point right now, but it's, it's, it's been a ton of fun. So Nice. Very nice. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about process. I mean, one of the elements of fantasy baseball that's pretty universal is player analysis and every analyst and player does things differently, uh, using different metrics, website skills and tools to evaluate players. Um, so let us know, like, what are some of the tools, resources, and metrics that you're using, uh, when you're analyzing, uh, players for fantasy baseball purposes? Sure. So I pretty much, you know, start with the baseball forecaster, which comes out usually in, in early December. And it's something I've been looking at for, for probably going on 10 years now. And just, you know, when I started kind of reading it, it was just a kind of an eye-opening experience in terms of what, what type of things they were considering. Uh, I know we have a lot more points of, of, of data and metrics nowadays, um, but that's always kind of the first thing I, I go to. 
Um, one of the, or a few of the, the, the metrics I look at is the, they have a hard contact X. Uh, it's a hard contact uh, metric that is indexed yeah. to league average. So um, you can kind of, it's basically the equivalent of like a hard hit percentage, uh, but indexed to league average. There is uh, an expected power metric kind of, you know, pretty similar, but includes batted ball uh, types. And then there's also an XERA uh, category that are a metric that I will look at kind of when assessing pitchers. Um, similar to, I, I don't know, you know, I haven't, I kind of sometimes ballpark a little bit more than, than really dig too deep between that. Some of the different, I'm aware of them between FIP, XFIP and, and Sierra, but you know, I just like to kind of get a sense of, you know, it's, it's a very kind of basic question is, is, is a guy kind of overperforming or underperforming based on, um, you know, kind of what might be expected. So um I've gotten a little bit less. And these are a little bit more of the traditional ones that I've kind of just been using for a while now, but, you know, swing mm-hmm. strike and, and BABIP and strand rate. And I will really you know, find it interesting that our understanding of, of what those are uh, has evolved. You know, I think, I think not that long ago, I probably, you know, looked at BABIP as kind of something that was going to regress to a certain number, mm-hmm. kind of no matter That's what, nice. you know, not looking at, at necessarily the pitcher's control of it. So those are some yeah, of the and- ones. Go ahead. Oh, and how, how do you, um, you mentioned a little bit about BABIP and how you might use it. Like, how do you, how do you use BABIP and strand rate, um, you know, when you're analyzing pitchers, how does it influence your decision-making? I mean, I, I looked at, you know, kind of if, if one is particularly, you know, a low BABIP or a high, high strand rate that those kinds of guys are kind of naturally due to regress uh, and less, and they'll kind of take a closer look. If, if at first blush, you know, you see that those are a little bit out of line and they'll kind of look a little bit more at the career numbers um, and try to look at some of their hard, hard and then look closer into some of their hard contact rates to, to kind of see whether or not that's, uh, you know, maybe sustainable or something that might be regress. So I don't do my own, you know, kind of by hand projections, but mm. um, you know, I kind of just use that to get a ballpark. And a lot of times it, it comes down when I'm, you know, ranking this pitcher versus another pitcher and kind of doing that type of analysis. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that's the, uh, there's some, there's some great analysts out there who are doing their own projections, which is always I feel like that's a goal of mine and I need to, uh, I need to hop on that. You, you don't do, you don't do your own. Uh, no, I don't do my own uh, projections. Like a lot of times I'll use uh, steamer um, and some of the publicly available ones at, at fan graphs, just to give me a sense of, you know, where, where those are projecting folks out and then whether I'm, you know, taking the over under on what they might, might think are, think folks are going to. And when I'm constructing my team, like a lot of times I'll, I'll look at kind of the aggregate of the projections and where it has me, um, you know, and, uh, obviously I think I'm going to do better than those always, but yeah, you never know. Yeah. And then, yeah, I was, I was going to say, so those are kind of just some of the traditional ones. And then a lot of the work that, you know, kind of you do uh, in your tweets and, and on the podcast and stuff, I've been looking more in the last year or so in this season at, you know, stuff like chase rate and zone contact percentage. Um, some of the stuff that uh, Andrew Perpetua uh, from XStats yeah. um, and, then, you know, baseball savant, those type of things. I, I love the, the kind of the biweekly uh, kind of leaderboards that you'll put out. You know, I think those are they're really good to kind of because that's that's you have a, a bit more of a process. Right. And so I think mm-hmm. in season for me, it can get a little bit just uh, chaotic. So it's nice to just kind of see yeah. those leaderboards and, and kind of bring it back to a, you know, something you can kind of look at uh, with some predictability. Definitely. Yeah. And one of the things I like about having like I have eight teams this year and I know you have, uh, I think, five. One of the things I like about having a lot of teams is it also kind of keeps you fresh with different players. 
and when I used to play with only a couple teams, um, you know, I'd get too focused on the guys that were on my team. So it's nice to have kind of some of these tools and expand that, uh, the research a little bit. Um, and it's pretty sweet, like the data that's just available through all these websites. Now you mentioned kind of using the forecaster and I always also use the, the forecaster through baseball HQ. This is not a paid advertisement, but uh, it's definitely a terrific, um, uh, resource, uh, during draft season. Um, talk to, talk to us a little bit about what your approach is, um, during draft season. How are you thinking about, uh, your team? You mentioned using the forecaster. Um, what else do you do to kind of prepare for your drafts, uh, before the season? Sure. So, um, you know, sometime if early December, uh, as early as December, the NFBC, um, they have these 50 round draft and hold, um, formats where 15 teams and you have eight hours per pick or sometimes four hours per pick and they're just slow drafts. Are you familiar with, with those? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, they can, uh, they, they're, uh, Slow drafts are like wonderful because you get to actually do research on players before you uh, draft them. I mean, like you can kind of compare the few folks that you're looking at maybe. Um, and then, yeah, it's kind of, I think in some other places, well, yeah, essentially you just hold the player. You don't have to worry about free agency, which saves you yeah. a whole lot of time. There, yeah. Yeah. In season, especially when you have, have rosters that you need fab moves every Sunday, having those that you can just very quickly on the Monday, you know, update your lineup is, is really nice but but yeah the rosters are just what they are at the end of your draft so if you kind of just get you know obliterated with injuries that's kind of just what happens so uh in some respects you know multi-position guys are, are maybe a little bit you know uh, differently valued there but um that's the, the thing about that is is i'll start doing that just to you know it's december it's the winter i don't really play fantasy football and so it's a way to kind of keep your mind on the on the player pool um you'll be confronted with different decisions um you know in the first round it might be where i would would have a, a bets versus blackman kind of uh you know pick right and so mm -hmm. at that time i will then kind of go and really look a little bit deeper at a lot of the stuff we just you know kind of talked about and then i'll have a good sense um you know who i not just in that draft but kind of what i think about each guy and um you know i think that that's good within within the draft and then i'm also at that while i'm doing those slow drafts i might do a handful over you know a course of a few months I'm making my notes, kind of compiling notes that, you know, as I mentioned, I share those teams uh, with my partner, Nick, and I then, you know, by position, I rank all the guys and kind of have just some, some blurbs can just be one simple line, you know, for, for, you know, kind of a way to communicate what I think about the guy. And then another, others can be, you know, very lengthy, um, kind of breaking down some of the stats and, and, and why I'm, why I'm high on the guy and why I want to, you know, kind of push him up, uh, or, or be active, you know, be uh, very much anti or very much for a particular guy. So that'll usually go till, till February or so. And then, you know, probably by March, I'll create the, uh, the big board, which is a very clever name. I know. Yeah. But, yeah. Very, uh, very yeah, original. Very, it's very original. Uh, yeah. It was uh, yeah, creativity. was not my strong suit there, but uh, it's just, it's just like 11 by 17, uh, paper. Right. And oh, all, nice. the, all the guys, it's got, yeah. If it was laminated, Hard copy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, That's, nice. You got to go hard. Nice. So totally. Have, yeah, totally. And it's, it, it's, uh, it's color coded and, um, guys that were, were very, you know, excited to get in a certain color and then guys that were, were like, but you know, not, don't want to get too, too, too jumpy on. And then guys will probably look to avoid. And then probably the bulk of it is, you know, 
75%, let's say, is just, just, you know, no color at all. And those are guys that we know what they do. Uh, and given the right team mm. context or given the right draft position, if a guy falls a few rounds, that that's a guy that we'd be open to. So I then, you know, yeah, I kind of dropped that all on, on, um, on Nick. And then, because, you know, even though we, and he probably knows most of this anyway, but by the time we've, you know, kind of texted or talked throughout mm. the winter, um, it kind of uh, gets us on the same page for, for when we draft. So I think that's Im- important for, for a partnership where, you know, just to kind of put the, the final touch on it, it's, it's, it's a, neither one of us has the final say. It's like, we just, have, we're, you know, good friends and we just kind of will listen to each other's opinion. And, and like, if you make a strong enough case, then, you know, um, we'll generally go with it or, or go against something. So yeah. that's the, that's the process. That's very cool. Yeah. And I think going back to what you were mentioning about the draft and hold, I think one thing that's really nice about those two is that, you know, you're kind of able to get into a real draft setting where people have, you know, if you're doing like a paid league, people have an investment, um, you know, in playing. And so it, 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 uh, it mirrors real life a little bit more than maybe doing like a mock draft on, um, you know, a, a website or something like that. So um, that's a really good uh, recommendation for folks who are able to um, do that. Now you mentioned like the big board and, and I just want to say like, I don't know, you got to tweet out the big board. Now, not like with the names, like where we can actually see the names, but I want to see the color coding. I want to see that. All right. So okay. next February or whatever, when that rolls around, uh, right. make sure you, you get that out. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, and so thinking about That's strategy, good. right? <laughs> strategy, right. And like, um, uh, you know, and what I mean by strategy is really like, what's your plan to win you talked a little bit about like, I love how you talked about like you break down kind of guys that you really like guys you want to stay away from. And then guys who are kind of known quantities that may bring something specific or fit a certain uh, team, team construction. Right. And I feel like that's something that doesn't get enough attention. Like we focus so much on the players and obviously the players are the components of your team, but like team structure is so critical so what do you have any specific strategies or strategy that you like to, um, you know, implement or like particular players, uh, types of players that you're targeting um, when you head into drafts? I would, I would say it kind of, it could vary from year to year, but going back to those DCs, uh, which I've probably done for maybe three or four years now, um, those, those are where you're able to kind of see, the strategies that they, they kind of announce themselves in those, in those drafts for you, for your main event drafts uh, or, or, or whatever draft you might have in March. Um, and, and I should probably back up that I, I kind of, and I think we take this approach in, in more recently is that you're going to be chasing something and, and you're going to be chasing two things. You're going to be chasing some kind of category, whether that's mm-hmm. starting pitching uh, closers or power or speed, or maybe batting average. And you're going to be chasing a position um, just by virtue of the fact that when you fill out a roster, there is a last name that goes – a very last slot that gets filled. So what we do yeah. uh, or what we're able to do or I'm able to do is in those slow drafts, look and see, oh, my gosh, I keep getting, you know, let's just say it's Cattell Marte in the 22nd and, um, you know, Joe Panic or uh, Devin Travis. Guys, I'm, you know, pleased yeah. with getting. Uh, uh, oh, you, that- had to, you had to bring up Devin Travis, didn't you? I know, I know. He, he was, he was, I'm he was a bold prediction of mine, and it's just been so disappointing. I told you you were going to live to regret having me on here. Yeah, no, uh, I, yeah I, totally. I was going to, I was going to come with all the, all the names. Uh, uh, nice, okay. nice. Okay, uh, but, but sorry, so I think yeah. no, it's okay. But I, I think that, and this is just an example. But this year, you know, um, 
so in that situation, I might say, well, okay, if those are the guys that you liked a lot, uh, then you might be less inclined to to take a second baseman in the wherever, whether that's you know up top or in the middle. You're like, okay, well, I'd rather go for um, first base or you know trying to fill that position earlier, which is almost the opposite of how I used to do it. Which is now you know the more I talk about it, more, the more embarrassing it is. But the, <laughs> there's the, no that, embarrassment on this show. Okay. This is a learning okay. community. So you're, you're gonna, I mean, I'm yet you're gonna edit this out, right? Okay. Yeah. Good, good. Um, but basically, they would put the the first six rounds of these drafts up, and so I remember I would kind of look back and just whether I'm like at work and just doodling or thinking about the which, which top six I would like to, to kind of form, and so I would have just like a, a number of like just a lot of times just because that's what came out, and so I'd be mm. looking at the top six and kind of you know configuring different starting six, and yeah. I realized that was just exactly the opposite of how. I go about it now, like I said. So it's basically drafting backwards, feeling like, okay, what what position do I not want to chase? And more importantly, which categories do I not want to chase? Um, this year, I experimented a couple times in those DCs and started with some teams that had pitching and power and then mm. chased speed late, and I hated those teams. I yeah. just I just hated them. I thought that you know there was um, the Shields, VR um, – a couple of their guys that, you know, whether it's Billy Hamilton, just guys that you know, wasn't too exciting. You know, Buxton even, although, although Buxton was early. I mean, even just the, some yeah. of the late guys, there just wasn't much there. Malik Smith was, you know, he's proven to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but what emerged, I think there was, I was just, the, the lack of speed that was available after the first five rounds for me was keeping me up at nights in terms of, mm-hmm. in terms of the overall, because you have to kind of be competitive in every category. So, um, Guys like uh, Yelich and um, you know obviously Betts and Lindor were, were high up on the list. Uh, Kane was one, and then Will mm-hmm. Myers, which yeah. you know, hasn't worked. But and then Fam too. Um, a, a little bit with him is, is he had that vision thing, you know, right towards the end of spring mm-hmm. training, and so it kind of backed off him on most teams except except that one that I mentioned, the one that's actually doing well. Um, but yeah, the uh, the speed was was a, was a concern. So. To answer your question, I think that that's what happens is you find that, you know, okay, well, I'm a little bit more comfortable with some of the power only or, let's say, starting pitching options late. And then I would, I would kind of, you know, develop the strategy for there from there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I found myself in similar positions. I think in a lot of my uh, leagues I was drafting towards, towards the end of kind of the drafting season, I was definitely trying to get some of those. They don't necessarily have to be five-category contributors, but like uh, Starling Marte, I went after in a couple leagues and – uh, Lorenzo Kane, folks like that, because yeah, the speed was just so hard to find without uh, considering how it was going to hurt you in other categories. And that's one of the things that I like to think about is like, not only how are you helping me like in these specific categories, but how are you also uh, kind of hurting me a little bit and and making sure that you're factoring that into uh, into team construction. So that's cool. I love that. I love that point about kind of drafting your team backwards and identifying maybe those value picks later on in the draft and whether there's like, I felt like shortstop was a little bit like that uh, this year. You mentioned Marte, but there's a couple guys that haven't worked out like um, uh, Tim Beck- Beckham, like Jorge Polanco. They were all kind of in that 280 P range um, mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, that I was looking Marcus at too. Simeon yeah. Marcus Simeon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I own him on a bunch of places. Um, um, cool. Cool. And then um, um, so you talked a little bit about, you know, kind of how you, um, go into draft and some of the considerations that you have there. Um, now, how about like your, your in-season management? How, how are you thinking about kind of your waiver wire 
how are you thinking about your waiver wire? Like, and I'll call it waiver wire management, like both in terms of fab and the resources, like, is there a particular way that you like to spread those out? Uh, obviously it depends on the players and who shows up, but do you, you know, do you have a particular like strategy or approach that you take to the waiver wire? And like on a weekly basis, what does your process look like for analyzing who's available, who's on your team and who you might be able to move? Mm. I think from the from the kind of the very nuts and bolts, just the process is you know starting with just setting the lineup, seeing who your starters have the, the coming week, uh, seeing where you know um, just what your bench looks like, and saying if I don't make a single move this week, here's what I got, you know, and then you can kind of uh, determine the the level of, of desperation that you need, let's say for an injured guy or middle to kind of cover for something. Um, and it's a, you know, kind of just a good way to kind of go at least have an idea of position. So hmm. I'll you know kind of go there. And then when I'm looking at the free agent wire, I'll, you know, kind of look at it bats uh, in the last seven to 14 days. I'll look at percent ownership, um, which can, both of those can sometimes be tricky in NFBC because new people, you know, uh, whether they're rookies, I think they called up, those mm-hmm. guys would be generally be 0% owned. And, and if they didn't play all week, they might have a low at bat total. So, Hmm. I'll throw guys on there and Nick will throw guys on there throughout the week. Um, and, and we'll kind of, kind of go from there. But um, in terms of how much we spend, you know, whether it's, it's a lot or a little, it, it, I think it kind of depends on the team when we're doing a little bit better. I think it's, it's easier to, uh, to kind of conserve your money and wait for, you know, not push too much. And then, um, you know, when, when, if, if, if things aren't going well, do you feel like, Oh, I, I need to make a splash. I need to get a closer right now because I have one closer. And so you're very desperate. Hmm. Um, and I think that usually turns out poorly, but uh, you know, that, that, that could be the case. So I, I don't think we have any kind of set policy on, um, on, on how much to spend. But uh, hmm. one thing we do, you know, I was kind of thinking about it was, was, was try to, and have tried to do more of to improve, um, cause when I, I look at some of these guys that are, are continually successful, it's amazing that, that how, 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 how many like optimal bids they have and how they never make anything that's too wacky or, or anything mm. like that. There's just like, they just make a good bid and they outbid the, the second best guy by, you know, just a few dollars. Whereas you'll see some people that just grossly overbid with no backup bid. And it's never the guys that are, you know, what I would probably consider some of the best players. So, mm. um, you know, that that's working and, and really mastering the fab process is something that we're, we're we're definitely trying to uh to work harder on but um one of the things we'll do is is kind of imagine that that all of our guys especially you know think about like the lower tier guys that they're all out there so let's say i had been you know sitting on robinson cano you know let's i decided to stash him a month ago Mm. and then this week you know i know he's still maybe what a week or two away and i know circumstances have changed but you know um you know the, the guriel from toronto is available and so I would, I would imagine that both of those guys are back out there on the wire. And so mm-hmm. then I would say, if they were both out there this week, would I, would I rather have, would I, would I actually, would I legitimately rank Cano above or below Guriel versus uh, I've been holding him for a month. So I got to hold him now. It's like, that's a yeah. sunk cost and it, it truly doesn't matter. And I think it's very easy from a psychological standpoint to believe that it does uh, be like, Oh, well, I've held him this long. And if he goes off and he blows up, I'm just going to hate myself. You know, I think that's a, that's something we're trying to get around or, uh, Try, trying it's not easy you know because anytime you hold the guy you're kind of i think it just either emotional attachment develops yeah yeah definitely i really i like how you mentioned um how you talked a lot about psychology like how 
when you're doing really well early on in the season, it's really easy to conserve fab because you're just like, ah, things are going well. I'm going to wait until I really, really need something. Whereas like if you're struggling, you know, at the get go, it's so easy just to splash the cash or like make a, you know, make maybe a a slightly ill-advised bid. And then also the, you know, especially in, in leagues, I believe the NFBC is like this where you don't, you don't have a DL, like making that decision to stash, someone is so much easier when you are, when you're doing well. I know in a couple of leagues where I'm doing well in a similar setup, you know, like uh, Paul DeYoung in one league got dropped uh, after he got injured and I held on to him for like a month and a half, you know, cause I really needed um, a middle infield help. And like Avisail Garcia was another example of somebody who got let go in a, like a 15 team league. So I think that's really, really interesting and something for folks to be kind of aware of is, is how is, uh, trying to make as rational of a move on the waiver wire as you possibly can um, is a challenge and something to mm-hmm. to definitely consider um, and think about. Um, you mentioned closers a little bit. How how has your they've been you know as you know uh, it's been a fairly difficult year in terms of just overall closer performance and folks being able to hold jobs. How has your close like how did you approach closers during the draft and how has that kind of played out with your with your fab? Um, I, I think that it has there are a couple different teams and each one has been a little bit different. We had Osuna on two of our four main events. Um, mm-hmm. And so they were doing well at the time. I think we had Boxberger on, on two of the four as well. Um, and then we ended up with Trine in, in one spot and Chapman in another. So it's kind of a, I think it's probably a, a tendency for sure is, is, is a pretty stable one or what we consider to be a stable one up top. And then maybe one in the 10 to 11 range, if, if, if that presents itself. We had one team where we really completely went with just the one up top and then tried to skimp and try to get some Blake Parker mm. and um, whoever else it was. You know, just a couple flyers yeah. like that and, and didn't work out. And then you're left. And that was a team where, you know, you're sitting there. It's, it's the weakest of the four teams. And it's the one where you're sitting there really trying and you're forking over a pretty significant bid for Jake Barnes um or whoever it was it was just every every week there in milwaukee because mm-hmm. it felt like in the early season there just weren't a lot of options that, that were coming across so um yeah i, I think that uh i think that I, I do also think it's very tough in, in some of those categories because starting pitching has been so hard and offense is you know really good and, and i think comparatively predictable right mm-hmm. so it's hard to sometimes go with like a jansen chapman combo or something like that you know really high <laughs> so we, we try to avoid that but um i'll be interested and i think uh you know it'll be an interesting thing i, I kind of think about in the off season is, is is whether or not the top tier closers are more valuable next year because of the fact mm-hmm. that the, i mean a you have so many uncompetitive teams or non-competitive teams and you have so those you know kind of just like well, how much value is is Willie Peralta or or you know whoever it is in Baltimore, <laughs> and then you have and then you have Philadelphia, a really good team, and I don't know how many saves Dominguez has, but I don't think it's all that many. It's probably. like less than five, I feel like. Yeah, um, and I mean, look at like I think Sergio Romo is probably one of we we got him on, on one squad, but it's it's. Yeah, he had 12 maybe and it's just it, it, people were just you like nobody and it was the cheapest bid of all the closers that we, we could have possibly bid on you know and he ended up kind of emerging and having a good little run there and hopefully it continues but yeah, but yeah the, the point being is that okay. I, I, I was totally wrong on on dominguez He's okay 10. okay 
Well, still, that's that. okay. I mean, it's still, uh, you know, I know he went for a considerable amount of money. Tyler Clifford, when he went out, considerable amount of money. Yeah. Um, you uh, know, yeah. Strickland, totally. um, I guess that could have worked had he not just punched the wall, but, um, yeah. <laughs> but thank God he did because love, Will Smith. I love Will Smith. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Wilson I'm glad he didn't get traded. That was was very exciting. So. Yeah, I but yeah, I think I like I said, I, I just yeah. the point there was I think that's going to be one of those things I I have to, you know, that kind of transcends the the actual player analysis, right? Like, is this a good closer or not? Then you have to kind of go into the game theory of okay, well, if there are only a handful of closers that I can you know reliably depend on, I understand that there's a lot of volatility there uh, in terms of closers losing their job. But if there's only a handful I can rely on. Uh, does that make them more or less valuable, uh, you know, from type like a, like a player valuation kind of standpoint. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. The psychology around closers too is so fascinating because I feel like every, every year, at least for me, like I go into drafts and I tend to wait a little while. Like I tend to probably go for my first closer around that 10th, 11th, uh, you know, well, I, I can't re- I can't remember what round it is. We're too far away from draft season, but kind of like your Arotis Viscaenos, your Blake Trinans, like kind of that area. Yeah. Um, although I did, I wish I got, I wish I had Trinan. <laughs> I probably can't remember the other dudes I drafted I mean, at like, that point in time. Yeah, like Maris, but, um, Maris was in there. Yeah, yeah, I I, I okay. stayed away from him thankfully, but um, yeah, it's just um, the psychology around it is so interesting because I feel like as you get into the season, if you don't have those. Like in a 15-team league, you know, you don't have your two solid closers or your, you know, in a 12-team league, you know, your, uh, your three closers. Like you kind of get, even at the beginning of the season, it feels like there's going to be no changes and nothing is going to change. These guys are going to be so sad. And maybe it's just what's happened this year with there being so much t- turnover. But you forget that, like, especially around this time of year, there's just so many questions um, and there's so much speculation you have to do. It presents a lot of challenges to be able to speculate correctly, but then it also presents some buying opportunities like a, like a Will Smith, right? Where there was questions about like, it could be one of three guys on the giants and you had to speculate and you didn't have to pay as much as a result, but I don't know. It's just interesting how that, how it always seems to, at least in my mind, like there seems to be a ton of early season pressure on getting those set closers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I it just promised me you'll edit this out, but there was one league we dropped uh Jesus Aguilar, uh, it looked like he was going to be squeezed for playing time for, for yeah. the backup in uh, – it was Carl Edwards Jr. for like a dollar. Like when we – because we were desperate desperate for saves and mm-hmm. we had a lot of corners and we're like, okay, let's try and do this. And then you look at it and he just – then he very quickly gets the at-bats. Um, and it, it's just it's just brutal because it is. You're, you're pretty much like – there's and, and too, like people were carrying and have been more recently carrying um, – these high high end the backups right so archie bradley i think would you know if that's the guy that you even thought would be the number two guy addison reed addison reed early mm. on chris Avinsky was uh, you yeah. know, supposed to be the number two guy those guys are all yeah. kept nowadays back you know three four years ago mm-hmm. if if a guy started to struggle a little bit you could go go nab the second up second guy up on the on, on the wire but but yeah nowadays it uh, those guys are generally kept and you're really you're really struggling on the waiver wire so i think saves are going to be interesting in terms of how to um how to attack those next year. Yeah, I had a I had a ton of Yoshi Hirano uh shares. Um although arguably he's probably pitched better than Boxberger, but we won't uh we won't talk too much about that. Um so moving moving away from the waiver wire, like when we think about um other elements of in season management, what are some of the other 
kind of considerations and things you're managing for uh, on your teams throughout the season? So I think, um, you know, kind of we touched on a little bit there, but just, just staying disciplined, um, you know, not kind of losing sight of what the ultimate objective is and that, and that being right. Obviously it's so, so simple and straightforward, but just to be in first place on the last day of the season, you know, I think that there's mm. part of, of me for sure that, that, if I'm if if I'm not in, in first or right there with the standings aren't exactly going well early on, um, that it becomes a little bit um, of a, of a, pre- a little bit more pressurized than it needs to be, let's say. And I think part of that, I've been thinking about this, is is perhaps due to me starting these drafts for the draft champions in December, right? So it feels like even though we're only two months into the mm. season, it feels like I've been doing it for maybe five months, right? And so <laughs> maybe like this art- artificial. <laughs> urgency with it that's not exactly the case so um i think that, that part of that is is just trying to kind of keep that in mind and and just continue to make good decisions um and, and that could be you know just terms of, in terms of aggressiveness you know you might feel like things aren't going your way and you're in eighth place and then rather than carrying let's say a backup or an additional closer spec on it you know you decide that you want to try and get grab an extra you know two start guy that's not that great just to try to you know do something i guess um, and that kind of backfires and it just kind of snowballs in the wrong direction there. So I think just, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to, trying to stay disciplined. Yeah. That can get, that can get dangerous. I feel like I, I have not stayed as disciplined as I should have, uh, with a lot of my pitching. And that's been the issue is, you know, kind of, kind of moving people in and out of the lineup and just missing on, you know, the matchup, whether it looked like it was a better minute matchup or, or whatnot. But that's, that's one, one thing I wanted to ask you too, is like within your lineup, um, how are you, you know, uh, a lot of, um, you know, the leagues that you play are either weekly, you know, weekly for pitching kind of mid uh, midweek uh, changeups uh, for lineups. I know TGFBI is weekly. Um, some people, a lot of folks use daily too. Um, how do you, how do you look at um, like lineups? Are there certain resources that you use kind of to look over the upcoming week and who you're going to start versus who you're going to sit? What are some of the factors that you consider and is it, and is it pretty flexible in terms of like a lot of your guys you're moving in and out uh, depending on matchups or do you generally stick with your, um, you know, with a lot of guys regardless of the matchup or only change if it's extreme in one direction? I would say that, yeah, with, with the number of injuries, especially early on um, most outside the TGFBI, I don't have anything that has a, a, a DL. So a lot of times I was yeah. so jammed up that you would have to have four or five roster spots just used up for, for guys that should be back soon. And so it was, you know, one maybe option uh, offensively, maybe two options you could look at offensively, maybe a starter, maybe, you know, that the sometimes tricky decision will be when you have a, let's say a you know decent ish to good, decent to good starter that's going into a tough matchup. And then you have a middle reliever that you're kind of waiting on to maybe get his saves opportunities, those type of things. Like, well, do I just try to protect ratios or do I try to get the win in that spot? So um, for the most part, I'll look a little bit. Uh, Baseball HQ has a, a kind of a eight day or a 14 day forecast. That you can kind of look at like um, mm. the, the pitching matchups. So it has like a, a rating matchup tool. Uh, I'll, kind of, I'll look at that. And then also um, I know there's something similar. I don't know if it has a score, but um, Rotowire also has a kind of a, a, a chart. You can kind of see kind of different um, number of games. Um, lefties righties and kind of who, who they're matching up against so i'll use those just to kind of see um 
you know, especially trying to just trying to have a couple different you know, sources to say, okay, is a guy in line for double star? Who do they expect to have you know, starting a particular game? Definitely, yeah. And I think one of the challenges is is there's is there's such a reduced pool of players that play every day now, you know, and so trying to mix and match based on based on pitchers, like if you know all of the different platoon splits that are out there, especially in deeper leagues. I feel like is, is always a, is always a, a challenge. Um, so we've, we've obviously talked about a lot of different concepts here about in-season management and some of the things that are critical, you know, uh, to distill it down to kind of a number. A lot of times you hear folks saying, well, you know, X percentage of your success is based on the draft and X percentage of your um, success is based on in-season management. Um Obviously, like, you know, the numbers are, you know, number, the numbers are numbers in this scenario. But what do you what do you think of it? Do you think it as as 50 50? Do you think it's more one direction or the other? How do you think about that? Um, that equation? I, I will. I'll give my numbers. But what, what are your numbers? What do you think? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I should have been more prepared with my numbers. Uh, you know, I think it's so. um it's so challenging because you, you have such recency bias, like with, with different years. So I would put it at, um, I'd probably go like 60, 40, 60% draft, 40% in season management, because I feel like every year there are, there's so many, there's so many injuries, uh, especially now with the 10 day DL. And there seems to be, um, you know, and again, recency bias, like there seems to be guys like your Max Muncy's that kind of come out of nowhere every year. Pitching seems to be a little bit more, um, you know, volatile, maybe just because of the DL stints and things like that. And so I do feel like your draft, it's really hard. I think the I've heard a lot of people say this, but like, I think the adage that it's very hard to overcome a bad draft, but like you don't win your league when you draft is a really good saying, because there's been times when like, you know, like, well, actually like, like one time I had an auto draft in a home league and it was just so not the team I would have drafted. And I just could not, uh, return from that. But I think in, in most cases, most teams uh, before, you know, luck and injury and things like that come into play uh, can be managed into a, a successful season, if not a winning season. Mm-hmm. What are your, what are your percentages? So I, my last question on that, is that, is that considering, or do you draw a distinction maybe between uh, trading leagues and non-trading leagues? Yeah, I think, um, you know, at this point, most, most of my, let's see, um, a lot of my leagues aren't trading leagues. I kind of tend to prefer non-trading leagues because I think um, I actually enjoy trading. Like I really enjoy trading, but I think, I feel like it's more of a challenge to not trade, not to say that I'm always like winning the trades that I make. And so it makes it easier, but um, But I just feel like there's something challenging. (laughs) <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, uh-huh. um, I mean, I probably invest a lot more time in research uh-huh. and analysis than most of the people like in my home leagues where I'm doing the trading uh, are doing. But yeah, I, I feel like, I mean, there are elements to trading that is, that's a lot of fun, especially in non-keeper leagues. I think trading in non-keeper leagues is a little, is a little better in keeper leagues. Like, and I'll, I'll do this a lot where like, I just, I sell out every year, right? I sell out the future. Uh, every single year trade draft picks and things like that to, to add talent. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I think with, but with, with trading leagues, I think it's a little bit less draft right. because you can, you do have more options available to you um, to do well. And then you can focus on kind of 
doing really well in some categories and then mid mid season or sometime around, you know, June kind of flipping the switch and seeing if you can sh- your turn your excess into, into um, something you need. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I would agree. I would, yeah, so I would agree you? with that. I, I mean, I think I just basically agree with, with most everything you said. Um, I know, that, I guess people have bristled at this question before, not, you know, on this podcast, but elsewhere, you know, cause it, there, it's really hard to, to say that one, you can have one a successful season really without kind of being good at both or having a good season in mm-hmm. both. But yeah, I would I would say maybe maybe seventy five twenty five, a little bit more in the draft for a, for a competitive for a competitive mm-hmm. league, um, which just because yeah. I just think that the holes that you can fill, like if you if you whiff badly in the first you know especially five rounds a couple times once or twice in the first five rounds in the main event, um, I think it, you really mm-hmm. just put yourself behind the eight ball. And, um, you know, especially this year where I guess there were some, there's have been some good pickups, right. But they, like, I think you kind of alluded to outside of Ross Stripling, they've mostly been hitter hitters. So, um, and even mm. in, I mean, it feels like, I don't, I don't, you know, haven't gone back through it, but it just feels like, um, there haven't been as many overall fines, uh, on the wire as, like they were last year. So, um, yeah. And, yeah and then I think in a, in a more, in a trading league, uh, I do think, or it's more or less competitive league. I think it kind of goes down to closer to, to 50, 50 or 60, 40. Uh, just because if you mm-hmm. drafted, you know, Jose Quintana in the fifth round, you can, you can even get out of that. Even if it's not the, the price you paid, you can kind of get out of it and get some kind of, you know, return on your investment, even if it's you know, 50 cents on mm-hmm. the dollar versus, you know, if you draft him and then your only option is to cut him or, or, or bench him and have him use it for rust or ride him and just, you know, continue to, cry yourself to sleep yeah. yeah 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 i mean one of the things that i love about fantasy baseball though to to your point is like in competitive leagues it is um you know it's challenging like you need to be you literally need to be good at both of those to be able to compete like even if you draft a, i mean obviously if you draft a team and everybody works out like that's wonderful but that just doesn't happen but like i love the fact especially like you know i play pr- I play exclusively Roto, you know, like different categories in some leagues, but exclusively Roto. And that's one of the things that I love about the season long leagues is like, there's a certain amount of patience and discipline, like you mentioned before, that goes into the decision-making process from week to week in daily leagues, even from day to day, right? Like, um, you know, getting your like players that hit well against righties and players that hit well against lefties and kind of switching them in. It takes a little bit more maintenance, but um, you know, I feel like that, uh, that discipline, like that's what it's about, right? Like as somebody who kind of loves, loves the process, if you will, sometimes even more than, more than the outcome, like uh, trusting the process and having time for that to kind of play out and for that discipline to show. And, um, you know, I think is something that, uh, that's, um, you know, that makes them really fun for sure. So, yeah, cool. Um, and so we've covered kind of going into the draft, uh, we've covered covered a little in season management. What is your kind of post mortem end of season evaluation look like? Uh, that usually involves um, just just some kind of staring back at, at, at draft boards and kind of just trying to you know <laughs> un- unpack all the moves and kind of you know do a deep dive and kind of see where things went right, what where things went wrong. Because I think you know I am competitive and I enjoy the competition a lot, and it's not. It, I don't think that you know, maybe this is the case, but maybe if your analysis on one particular guy was better that you would have had a t- entirely different season, maybe that's the case, but it's usually not the case for me. 
Um, I think there are usually trends and, and bad habits that we might get into, um, especially, you know, when we started out, you know, I think we've definitely improved uh, year over year, but uh, going back with an honest kind of, you know, unflinching assessment of here's where we just completely screwed up. And, you know, here, here, and here's let's not, not try to do that again. And it's difficult because it's so uh, contextual, right? So the good thing is I have, you know, Nick and I mm. can talk about it and say, well, did you make a bad play or was it the right play that just didn't work? And you, and, and for, I think people mm-hmm. that do it by themselves might have a, you know, might have a harder time because there's not somebody that you can really sit down and explain like exactly what the thought process was and why that might've been good or bad. So We'll do that. Totally. And then we go to, uh, I've been now, I think, two or three straight years, and um, is, is first pitch Arizona. It's a baseball mm-hmm. HQ event, and a lot of the kind of the Roto-Wire and Fangraphs guys go early November uh, for the Arizona Fall League. And that is good. They just get to that, kind of just go and surround yourself with like-minded individuals, and they'll go through. They have like a facts mm-hmm. and flukes thing. They'll talk about the past year. And last year, one of the big themes was, you know, kind of the 10 10 day DL, the emergence of the 10 day DL, the just the huge drop in, you know, start like innings per start and how to manage that from a from a game kind of theory standpoint. So those things are good because those kind of kind of just refresh a little bit like, okay, you know, for me, maybe it's 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 helpful to just wipe the slate, you know, go like, okay, here, here we go. And then kind of, yeah. you know, renew that, that, that spirit to kind of go back at it again. But uh, that, and it's a great time is a great, fantastic time. Um, great group of guys, everybody's very approachable and just everybody's just having like, everybody's like on vacation. So that's, uh, yeah, it sounds like such a good time. I really want to go, but uh, my work, I have something uh, always in early November, so I'm not, uh, I'm not able to rock it, which is which is unfortunate. But who knows? Yeah. Uh, one day, it sounds like a great time, and it's it's so interesting. Like you mentioned, kind of some of these meta trends, like the 10, 10 day DL um, last year. Um, you know, it's always interesting. It feels like every single year there are there are these different trends happening. Ready? Whether it's like the disappearance of the continued disappearance of stolen bases, like I think. Mm-hmm you know, even in maybe a more an expedited fashion or power, you know, this year being a little being down, mm-hmm. you know, um, as compared to last year, like it's just, um, it's always interesting. That's what keeps it, keeps it so fascinating is being able to identify what those meta trends are and, and how you respond, right. And do they take, do they stay, uh, do they actually stick from year to year? Um, so yep. cool. Um, and then everybody's everybody's favorite question is always to talk about uh, your weaknesses, right? Um, so what do you, what would you say? And um, you know, and, and the example that I give is kind of like I I sometimes focus too much on skills. Um, you know, like all you know, Domingo Herman is a great example, like where you know the skills looked great, and I just held on too long because I was seduced by that very high swinging strike rate. Um, and there's other examples where kind of um, you know, I kind of get a little bit of a blind spot. What are some of the, what would you say are some of the, the parts of your game that you'd like to improve um, if we use a strengths perspective? Strength perspective. Um, I think, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's a, it's a weakness, but it's definitely a trend in the habit is I definitely, I, I tend to avoid guys with low batting average. Um, mm. You know, the Joey Gallo types and also like a, the same, at the same time, a, a Billy Hamilton. I just in any any of the big main events or competitive leagues, I just never ended up with those guys, and I don't know if it's because I fall into like a, a habit um, in the draft champions leagues. 
but I just, I just, for what, and, you know, you have to build, I think you have to be prepared to take those guys and completely build your team around that. And I think it can be done. And I don't just want to try it just for trying its sake, but I also don't want to be foreclosed and give up a, a potential edge or advantage that I could have by, by kind of building a team if it presented itself in that way. But I do kind of get a little bit that, um, little bit closed off on, on some type of guys and and guys that burn mm. me and guys that burned me you know i think yeah yeah um i'm sure it happens to everybody but uh but yeah it's just you know um you need to kind of wipe the slate and you just I, it, it can be a very dismissive because i told you i would write the blurbs it could be a very dismissive type of like ah this guy's had, had, mm. had a good year you know and and uh, kind of write it off pretty quickly but um yeah i, I think that, that would be one of the things is trying to be open-minded every time and and go with that so yeah it's interesting i do the exact same thing like uh you actually reminded me of an example of like my biggest my biggest failure which was uh i was so down on javi Baez headed into the season because i just i just couldn't stand the the skills profile right like the chase rate the swinging strike rate the contact all of that stuff. And so that was one of my bold predictions was he was going to finish like outside the top two fifty, mm. something mm. like that. You can so. just delete, you can just delete mm. that one. When you, when you cover how they did just delete for sure. My, yeah. My nine bold predictions for the year. Yeah. No, there, nobody, there you nobody, go, totally. yeah, nobody will catch it. I'll, I'll definitely have to delete more than just okay. one. I think right, so. Cool. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. Um, uh, cool. All right. Um, so the next little spot we're going to get into before we go on to that, is there anything else that you wanted to add about just kind of overall process metrics, um, anything that we, that we either missed or just something that you would add, like for folks who are listening, who are, you know, uh, learning or continuing to learn about uh, the game, like anything that you would add? I mean, that's, that's an open-ended question. I, I mean, I think, I think, <laughs> I think, you know, we kind of touched, touched on a lot of it and um you know, the main thing is that uh, kind of that, that real true assessment of, of kind of what your own streaks and weaknesses are and uh, what habits you might have. And then, you know, like I said, kind of said with that, with that, with the kind of the one player example, like, is this, is this really like, is it one player that you drafted in the, that it cost you? Or is this, is this like a, a trend? Do you always struggle in pitching? Is it the way you analyze pitching? So I think being open to a lot of metrics uh, or, you know, a lot of the new, um, things that come along and not that you have to take everything like that. But I think it's just good to incorporate that and kind of develop the tool set. Um, and then, you know, maybe, um, you know, while you're doing your own analysis and also not thinking that you're smarter than everyone, um, that your mm. projections, like, I think, uh, I'm not sure the exact studies, but I think that, that they've been kind of shown that Steamer or Zips or other projections have been pretty close to, you know, within a certain range mm. of, of kind of projection systems. So I don't know if I would, if I was trying to be like really beating, you know, winning these competitions, that my goal would be to try to do it by out projecting some of these guys. Now, mm-hmm. you know, I, th- I think the better part would be to try to kind of a- apply kind of the, some of the, the game theory type of stuff we were talking about going, you know, how can I, how can I apply these general per, you know, um, predictions um, or projections and, and kind of put them together in a way that is, is competitive and, you know, kind of playing a range of hands and, and instead of just the, the projection itself. So, um, and then yeah, that's great. Advice. And my last one, uh, as I get going here is, is I, I do see that some people in that same token that, that can tend to jump the ADP for a lot, the average draft position, right. Mm-hmm. That comes out and um, they do so because they all, you know, when you only have one team, it's a little bit, it's a little bit 
easier to do because you you're like, oh, this is my team and this is my player. I'm going to draft. Um, I think that's part of why Nick and I have multiple teams, which is it allows you to kind of be mm. a little bit more patient because especially in an overall competition, you have – if I jump every player I want by a round and sometimes two rounds, there is kind of if, – if ADP, by definition, somebody else that's getting that guy at their normal round and somebody that's getting him at a bargain, you know, believe it or not. And so I, I think and you're actually technically competing against those guys. And um, by jumping everybody, you put uh, uh, an immense amount of pressure on yourself to be right on pretty much all the picks. Mm. So I think that's something we used to yeah. do and, and do a lot less of. Yeah, that, that is a, that's a great point. I'd say that's something that, like, heading into this year, that's one thing that I would do differently is this year I had my players, you know. Mm-hmm. I had my guys that I wanted to have on every single team, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Eddie Rosario was one who's worked out so far mm-hmm. uh, recently, a different story. Mm-hmm. But, um, and then Yasiel Puig was another, right? So, like, of my eight teams, I think I had six shares of Yasiel Puig. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, when you invest that much in a single player – you know, there's so many things that can go wrong, right? Puig actually hasn't been terrible when he's played, but he's gotten injured, right? And so all six of those teams now have this hole around like ADP 100, right? Where, um, you know, you're, you're losing a lot of value on your team and, and kind of limiting yourself. And there's so many ways to win. Like when you look at, you know, like if you look at an overall competition like the NFBC or even TGFBI and you look at the rosters, right? Like there are hits, there are misses, there's very different teams, right? Any, any, not any group of players, but there's a lot of different um, uh, teams and compositions of players that can, that can create a winning team. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I think, I think some people, uh, and again, myself in the past would, would think that, yeah, you have to have a certain guy. If this guy hits, then um, yeah, that, that, that's the, the key to winning and I can't win without it. And yeah, I don't, I think that's kind of foolish actually. Yeah. So, Sweet. Tough, All I, right, think, well, I think your TGFBI team was, was drafting from the two spot, if I'm not mistaken. It was the two spot. Yeah. I went, um, I went in, uh, I, I got Bregman with, tw- with 29 uh-huh. and then Severino at, uh, whatever it would be 32, mm-hmm, I think. Mm-hmm. So I loved I loved Alex Bregman. I still love Alex Bregman. Yeah. Alex Bregman is the skills just, they're amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. um, but yeah, I, I drafted out of the, out of the, out of the two spot, which, you know, Altuve, um, you know, the one season he decides to have a little bit of an off season. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It has to be this year. But, I just, oh, well. I do, th- I, do, I, I was going to say, I do think that maybe builds in a bit of an excuse for you, though. Uh, or, you know, it, it's tougher to be patient when you're at the, at the corners. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I do like this guy, and I know that you really use ADP not as like, you know, kind of just, you know, I guess a sheep, you know, but you're saying, okay, what are the, what are the odds? That if I pass on him here, he's going to be here basically 28 picks later, mm-hmm. you know? And so when you're in the middle or, or near, near a little bit closer to the middle, you can kind of take those a little bit more calculated gambles and say, okay, I'm not going to jump here. I'm going to wait and try to admit, you know, 15, 16 picks from now. Um, but yeah, it's tough on the end. Definitely. Yeah. And there's actually a great formula, um, not to plug the forecaster again, but there's a formula that they have that you can insert into an Excel spreadsheet that'll give you the percentage chance based on ADP mm-hmm. um, and, um, and standard deviation of a player being available in your next pick, which I've a uh, pick, which I've actually found to be really, mm-hmm. um, really useful. And I think, yeah, to, to your point too, like one of the things that I have like biases, whether good or bad is that I love like to get the five category contributor, you know, like, mm-hmm. like the Alex Bregman, 
Um, even guys like, I mean, Chu hasn't done the stolen bases this year, but you can get him so late and he's not going to overwhelm you in any one category, but he's going to con- contribute across the board. And I feel like with, with the new DL environment, particularly like having those types of balanced players in some ways is a little bit of insurance um, against, you know, the DL and bad luck because your stolen bases aren't completely invested in one player, right? Like in a D Gordon or a Billy Hamilton, um, but you're able to kind of spread the risk around a little bit. So that'd be one thing that I'd kind of mention, like that I feel like I, and it, it could just be again, recency bias from what's happened this year, but um, I really enjoyed some of my teams that have a lot of those kind of balanced uh, profiles. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 Cool. All right. Well, um, really appreciate you sharing your uh, process and everything like that. Obviously we are both huge fans of fantasy baseball. And so it's awesome to, just hear, um, you know, the way you go about doing your work and you've been really successful with it. So really appreciate that. We're going to hop into kind of a next, the next segment is, uh, is a new one. Uh, it's going to be our fresh baked or our hard cookies. Now for folks, um, uh, I don't know if I've ever shared this on the podcast, but I am a huge uh, believer and fan of baked goods, uh, in particular cookies. And, uh, a few months ago, I was going like every Saturday, my family goes to the bakery and we get the, and we get cookies. And like, there was this, I think it was like a peanut butter cookie and it looked so good. And I was like, all right, this week, like for my treat, uh, when we go to the bakery, I'm going to get, uh, this peanut butter cookie. And I got the peanut butter cookie and I sit down to eat it. And like, I take a bite out of it and it's a hard cookie. And like, I know there's some people out there who like and enjoy hard cookies, I am definitely not one of them. So like one of the greatest disappointments in life, I think, is having like a cookie in your hand that you're ready to eat and biting into it. And it's a hard cookie. So hard cookies are the guys that are going to disappoint. And then the fresh baked guys, those are the guys that are going to be like your soft cookie. They're going to be delicious. They're going to be awesome for the rest of the year. So that's how we're doing it. People have like their, you know, goods and bads. We're going to go with fresh baked and hard cookie. So. With that little intro out of the way, uh, Brian, tell me a little bit about uh, two players that are your fresh-baked players for the rest of the season. Some fresh-baked players. Uh, I will go with the first one as Rich Hill. Um, I know he's had a few good starts, so it seems like it's an, uh, an easier pick to make, but uh, not necessarily trying to be bold. Uh, but, I mean, he's, he's, he's probably pretty close for me, you know, top 15 or, or 20 um, for the remainder of the season. Um I like, I mean, obviously just today, they got some some offensive reinforcements. I think that, you know, in his last five starts, um, he made a mechanical adjustment. And in his last five starts, I think he has a 2.47 ERA, uh, 10.7 strikeouts per nine, two and a half walks per nine. I know everybody kind of thinks like, oh, we just won't get a lot of production. And I do get that there are, you know, questions as to the log jam there. But, um, I mean, he pitched – 82 innings in the the second half last year which you know i think might surprise some people and this year he's only at 68 on the year so i could just see him having just a, a run um of, of dominance and i think that uh yeah he's he's gonna be you know in well positioned to to provide a lot of value uh down the stretch awesome so yeah love love post blister uh rich hill just um uh, I randomly in front of me have these numbers about Rich Hill. Uh, and you mentioned it over his last five starts. 
Uh, he's got a, uh, his swinging strike rate is up to 12.2%, which is awesome. First pitch strike rate is at 68.6, way above average. His O swing is up at 31%, a little bit above average, and he's thrown the ball in the zone. So um, great, great pick there. Uh, number one for your, uh, for your fresh baked uh, starting pitcher there. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, and I know you like Rachel. I, nice? I, I know you like Rachel. I liked him a lot in the, in the off season as well. So in, in, in some way it's, it's kind of a doubling down on it, but uh, I'm just excited that he's back. Um, I guess you could also put John Gray in that category, Totally, but uh, not quite the same caliber, but um, I think he's also going to do for some, uh, a good stretch. And he had a good game, I think tonight. So, yeah, uh, he did. He did. To, and then uh, on the hitting side, I, I would go with uh, Wilmer Flores. So, I think he. I think he had dehydration and dizziness tonight. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. When they were down thirteen to, to nothing in the in the second, <laughs> I'd have I'd have dizzy dizziness and dehydration for that too. I think. Yeah, yeah. So he. Uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, basically you know playing time should be open. He generally hitting third in that order, um, making really good hard contact. You know, I talked about the hard contact index that uh, you know, the HQ metric. He has a, a one nineteen, nineteen uh, percent above league average in hard contact. One twenty two power index. Um, career high is an eight eight percent walk rate and just a nine percent strikeout rate. Um, X stats. I looked at his X average. His X average was a two seventy eight versus his current two seventy one. Uh, the homers though were about basically even a little bit high. He he has nine homers versus what would be on the X stats eight homers. But um, I just think that that he's improved. He's hitting two seventy eight against righties, and you know I think there was the idea that he might just be you know just good against lefties for a while, but. Um, I think that this is a guy that probably is not commanding much in, in trades or for agent pickups or anything like that. And I just think that uh, if he gets some run here, um, assuming the dizziness, if he recovers from the dizziness, I think he could be a nice uh, fresh cookie, fresh baked cookie nice. down the stretch. There you go. I love it. Uh, cool. All right. And now, now I hate to have to do this, no, but okay. we got to choose some hard cookies. You got to choose the hard you know? cookies. Okay. Got to got to have that disappointment as well. Who are two guys? Uh, who who are two guys that are going to disappoint? Okay. Well, like like every every fool uh, since the dawn of time, I'm going to double down on my losses. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm going to go with Odubel Herrera. This was a guy I, I was off and just completely missed on this year. Uh, he's got 19 homers. And um, a 275 average. He's 67th on the player grader, so I could not have been more wrong. I think he was going in the the 14th, yeah. 15th round or something like that. But um, basically, his walk rate is 6%, strikeout rate 21%. The hard contact is down from last year when he had I think 15 homers on the year, um, less than 10 steals. He's he's five of uh, five of seven on the bases so far this year, and. Uh, on the X stats, his batting average, expected batting average is 254 versus his uh, current 277 average. And then he has 19 homers on the year with an expected homers, uh, expected home runs of 12.5. So I just think mainly, um, you know, <laughs> again, it's just stubbornness and me trying to jump in there. But I, he's, a, <laughs> he, he's a guy that if he hits, you know, something like 265 and, and under – you know, uh, eight or nine home runs the rest of the way, I, I wouldn't be that surprised. So, but uh, I do realize that he's in a good spot and the lineup just improved with uh, the soon to be addition of Wilson Ramos. Yeah. It's those, it's those damn free, sw- free swingers, you know, yeah. him and Baez yeah. can't take a walk, but you look at it, they but they're doing it, it happen. but they're doing it. Yeah. I so, know. Yeah, it keeps, it's, it's brutal. Keep riding it. So. it I, I don't like it when people circumvent the process, you know, and are still successful. Exactly. Um, 
Uh, all right. Well, who's your Who's your second one? So I'll go. I'll go with um, staying in the NL West. I'll go with Ross Stripling. Um, not really. Not really based on his skills. He's um, you know he's had. I think he's given up four earned runs or more in three of his last five starts. And he's, you know, his ground ball percentage is down to 43%. But the velocity is good. Swing strike and the first pitch strike are all pretty good. Um, his first pitch strike is 62% in the last, you know, five or six starts. And it was up in the 70-ish range for May and June, which is just elite. But uh, I think it's about the innings. I think that he's at uh, 104 after pitching mm. 74 last year and 100 the year before. He's worked. I, this is actually something that that uh, Ryan Bloomfield noted um, in one of his his uh, baseball Q columns as well. But um, he's worked in the, he's worked in the bullpen before. Hyunjin Ryu is not far away, uh, and he's all he's only pretty much worked as a starter. And I just could see a, a scenario where you're looking at, at Stripling's just um, top line numbers right now. I know he just went on the DL, which would make it a little bit harder to trade. But I just feel like. Again, nothing about his long-term uh, prospects or anything like that. I just could see a scenario where this very valuable commodity on your on your fantasy roster suddenly becomes not so valuable. Um, and if you have a good chance to trade out of that, it might. Yeah, I, I think that would be something I would be looking to do if I had him. So um, that would be my. And I, don't, I, I take no pleasure nice. in this because I, I like I like I love I love the growth and he's definitely <laughs> gonna be a guy that I like next year. But uh, yeah, I just see. That staff is, is, is yeah. Mm-hmm. Who, who are you quitting? We we love to predict players to not succeed and then uh, enjoy <laughs> it when they don't. Yeah. So um, yeah. yeah, we would never wish anything Ever. negative. We wish all uh, players would just outperform mm-hmm. all exactly. expectations. So um, cool. All right. Well, thank you. So that is uh, the fresh baked is uh, Rich Hill and Wilmer Flores, and then. We got the hard cookies, the bitter disappointments of biting into that hard cookie for Odabel Herrera and Ross Stripling. Um, that is going to wrap us up. Brian, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, really appreciate you being the first interview on here. Uh, really respect your work at Baseball HQ, the tweets that you're putting out, and just the, the performance speaks for itself. So thanks so much for coming on and sharing a little bit about your process and um, your ideas about fantasy baseball with us. I really, I really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, definitely. And and uh, remind folks uh, where they can reach. On Twitter, uh, at that, T-H-A-T, underscore G-L-G-20, or Baseball HQ. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right, thanks, Ticker. Thank you so much, Brian. That's going to wrap us up for the 17th episode of the Bat Flip Crazy podcast. Thank you so much for listening. A special shout out to Brian for joining me for that first interview. Really had a great time talking with him about fantasy baseball, learning a little bit about the metrics and tools, resources that he's using, some of the process points as well as some of those um, strategy points. Definitely learned a lot from talking to him. Hope everybody who is listening was able to take a few nuggets out of that conversation, at least a few nuggets out of that conversation, and that you enjoyed it. Um, If you did enjoy the conversation, please do go to iTunes or your preferred podcast platform. Uh, Give us a five-star rating, write a review, uh, let me know what you think about that interview. I'm hoping to have uh, more guests on in the future. That is going to wrap us up. 
You can reach me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy, on Instagram at BatFlipCrazy, Facebook BatFlipCrazyFantasy, and our one lonely uh, YouTube video on YouTube. You can follow Brian at that underscore GLG20 uh, and also uh, at Baseball HQ. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Looking forward to talking with you next time and best of luck with your fantasy baseballing.